Hello, everyone out there, and welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I'm Clark Coffey, and with me, as always, is Mr. Colin McFader. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Colin, for being here. Uh, uh, as always, I'm excited. We are at episode four zero, the big four mm-hmm. zero. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't believe we've made it this far. Um, yeah. h- how exciting! Uh, but today we're going to be discussing Cullen's pick, 1973 film by Robert Altman, The Long Goodbye. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is the first time I've seen the film, Cullen. Is your recommendation? Right, yeah, she mentioned, yeah. I, I, I always love it when uh, when I'm introduced to a new film. Of course, I'm very familiar with Altman. I, I've seen many of his films, but I had not seen this one. Somehow just escaped me. So mm-hmm. whenever I, whenever you told me that was the film you wanted to discuss, I was pretty excited. And uh, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I watched it a couple times, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to discussing it. I, let's jump yeah. in. I'm yeah. curious to know uh, why you picked the film, when you first saw it, and what that experience was. Because I have to admit, I, I was a little bit surprised. Not that, not that I should be, because... You know, I always kind of have part of my head. I'm always like, well, Cullen, you know, is in his early 20s. Not to give too much personal information away there about you, Cullen. (laughs) Someone's going to get my uh, social insurance number. But, you know, it's like, you know, this is a 1973 film. Uh, Certainly Altman, of course, is uh, a known entity, a a very um, uh, popular director if you're you're a film buff. But, uh, But maybe not so much if you, you know, uh, watch Marvel movies, and that's kind of the extent of your film experience. Of course, mm-hmm. I know that's not you, but nonetheless, I was ex- I was surprised to to hear this was your pick. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with the film first time around and why you picked it? Yeah, um, I first saw this movie I think right at the end of high school, um, and I remember, I don't know there was something just about it that I I really liked. I think back then, which we can definitely get into. Um, in more detail later, I was really getting into like PTA and okay. um, that kind of thing. And so um, I think that was likely, I don't remember specifically, but I think that was the reason I actually went back and watched this was just because PTA cites it as one of his favorites. Right. Um, and you can really see why. Now this I mean, film specifically of... or just Altman in general? Is... Um, Altman in general, but also I think he's to discuss this film on specifically. a few different okay. occasions. Yeah. Um, and you can and... see that. You can see the yeah. influence and we'll talk about that later, but yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you can you can absolutely see the influence, um, and I think the reason why I liked it was just because it 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 feels very different. You know, it's not by any means like art house or anything like that, but it's um, it's like laid back in a weird way. You know, yeah. it's, I've heard this movie compared to Chinatown a lot, um, and which would have been even more you know relevant had this movie originally as it was supposed to be set in the 1940s mm-hmm. if it was set then there would definitely be much more of a through line but they um, kept the car though they kept yes, marlo's they car they did keep his car yeah yeah which i think is like a, it's it's a it's a like it's a late 40s i think maybe a 48 lincoln continental yeah. cabriolet yeah. i think if that's correct so they kept the car yeah but, <laughs> but um and and so i think it was just the yeah the way that the movie is like the flow and the vibe of the movie just are are very different it's very like it doesn't rush through anything it's not a very long movie it's only an hour and 53 minutes i think yeah um it almost has a meandering it almost has yeah it almost just kind of like very much i think the film itself embodies the character of marlo in the way that like 
he often seems very relaxed, very cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> um, almost in some scenes, and I think this is a positive, but I've heard people complaining about this as well. Like he almost seems like he just doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, which I think is hilarious. Um, He's just kind of and, floating through. So what did you yeah, think the film on your really first? Feels like that. So on your first view, did it did it grabbed you? Did you? Were you? Yeah. Honestly, I mean, this is only the second time I've seen it. I think. Okay. Um, and uh, in its entirety, I've I've watched moments and stuff like that when i teach and stuff um sure but um but no i weirdly enough i i don't think i had much of a different reaction this time than i did the first time i watched it there wasn't really anything new that jumped out at me not in a negative sense but in just more in a sense that i i felt pretty much on par with what i felt the last time um now let me ask yeah i was just gonna say let me ask before not to cut you off there i'm sorry but before it kind of i I, it slips my mind and i forget i'm curious so uh so so pta this uh, obviously like a a current contemporary filmmaker so it's clear why you'd be exposed to his films Mm -hmm. so you see that this is an inspiration you go and check it out i love doing that too um, and you like it, uh, and, but you, you said just then that you actually use some aspects of this in your teaching. I'm just curious, could you kind of share maybe what is it about this film? Are there some scenes that you share with your students? Are there certain aspects of the film that you kind of use to highlight certain things for your students? I'd just be curious to know a little bit more about that. Yeah, there's the element of... Um, I think one of the key elements that I've used this movie for is just like the flow of camera work. That okay. Altman never likes to keep, you know, and that's again another point that he makes himself that he never wants to keep the camera still in it. But, yeah. um, and before I even knew that that was uh, really an intention of his, I always kind of noticed that, yeah, there's so many scenes where you just feel like the scene is moving. It almost feels um, like montage in a weird way. Like, like it's almost, the, it's the, very organic. Yeah. It's very you know, like it, everything is constantly flowing forward, but yeah. not in a way that makes it feel like it's rushed, but more so that it just, there's this natural kind of, yeah ebb and flow to the i would say even like the first half hour of the movie it just feels like it's like one thing just flowing into the next into the next into the next um and so i think that kind of at least for me whenever i've taught um and usually i only keep this kind of for the more like advanced like older classes because Mm -hmm. it's kind of a just kind of a little higher level thing but it's it's kind of the marrying of, of camera work and storytelling um, in a very fundamental level, like so not necessarily in a way that it's like this this camera movement is showing us what this character thinks, but rather that the camera movement itself um, is is if you were to shoot this movie a different way, I don't think that that it would work. If you kept everything else well, it'd be identically, but if yeah. you didn't move the camera, if you just kept it still or just shot it in a different way, yeah, it would feel completely different. And um, so there's definitely a lot in there that I think... Um, is is necessary in in a weird which i think you know most things in a movie are usually the choices that are made if are it's necessary. conscious yeah if it's uh, conscious, but yeah it's definitely no. like the the way that the camera's moving the way i think back to the, the first time you see the um the guard the little guardhouse guy that does the impressions um, <laughs> yeah i love seeing, that character yeah yeah when he's seeing terry out um when he's kind of like saying goodbye to him right at the beginning right at the, the opening montage and it's like you're you're pushing in on him and you're you're zooming in on Terry in the car and then you're pulling out on the the guard again and then Terry drives away and it's like the movie is just constantly recomposing feeling like it's moving and for and and that it's it's there's always like this kinetic flow to it which I really yeah. like um yeah I think that that's just something that really caught on to me when I first saw it and something that I've I think subconsciously kind of adopted in things that I've made as well so sure well it's I mean I think it is interesting to note you know and 
um, we we're going to touch and expand upon so many more, uh, somewhat, you know, the, some of the aspects that you've just talked about uh, more as we go through this. But um, I think the film really stands out today. Now, it, uh, and when it was made in 73, uh, man, I, we, you know, you and I were just quickly before this podcast, we're kind of reminding ourselves of what films uh, were released, you know, around this film. You know, where, where, where did this film sit? Uh, you know, yes. uh, amongst yeah, other in the, films in, the... in 1973, and it's like yeah. mind blowing the the amount of good films that were released. Oh, it's in, insane in yeah. North America in 1973. I mean, wow! You know, it's like uh, just as a kind of reminder to people out there to kind of put you back in the context of what kind of films you know uh, the studios were releasing in 1973 in North America. I mean, The Sting and The Exorcist were the two uh, most commercially successful films. I, mm-hmm. I think both films are, are also artistically fantastic films, but you've got um, Lucas with American Graffiti. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got Scorsese with Mean Streets. You've got um, Malick with Badlands. And I mean, you could go on and on and on. But Serpico, oh my, yeah, yeah. Oh, Serpico with Al Pacino. I mean, it, I, I, there's just, it's like mind blowing. I mean, and I always, <laughs> I, 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 the 70s is definitely my favorite era for film. And this film was surrounded by a lot of really extraordinary films in 1973. Yeah. But and, and maybe maybe that's why uh, it it wasn't a huge critical or commercial success. Yeah, uh, it didn't yeah, make it, its it was budget. technically a flop. Yeah, uh, it didn't make its of, yeah. didn't make its budget back, and definitely had mixed reviews. And I almost wonder if you know that what you just described that that kind of that organic kind of meandering kind of floaty flow. Where this, where, and it's not just camera work. You really, you really did touch on something that I think is key. Um, I think a lot of times camera and story are not integrated really well, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just like, well, we're going to put a camera here, and it's kind of arbitrary, we'll and we're going to have, yeah. it's going to capture what's happening, right? And that, and, um, and 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 the camera's not fully utilized as a storytelling device in a lot of film, and especially especially in a lot of TV because TV doesn't have the time and it doesn't have the budget and TV's a writer's medium and you have a different director every episode in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think, we're, unfortunately, we're used to the camera not being a very big part of the storytelling in today's day and age, in my, in my opinion. And, yeah. I, and I think it's really one of the big differences between true cinema and, and just kind of like, you know, moving picture storytelling. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's always been really bizarre to me The you know, and again, it's definitely a style of directing, but it's one of those styles of directing that I've always been a bit confused about, which is the hands off the camera. I don't mean literally hands off. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't think that a director No, you mean like a laissez-faire attitude. Yes. But yeah, I know many directors who just don't involve themselves in the movement of the camera or <laughs> in the framing of a shot at all. Yeah, that's They're crazy. Just, you know, which is, you know, it's, they'll, they'll go and work with actors, which is, very much important as well but i've always thought that that to me you know the the big part of being a director is is balancing everything of course and being able to you know and because it's not you know i think also people i think the biggest mistake and you know not to get into filmmaking 101 but um i think a big mistake that a lot of people make when they're trying to make movies is that they compartmentalize so they go like, okay, now I'm going to go work with the actors, and right. then I'm going to go work with the camera, I'm gonna and then I'm going to go talk yeah. to the art department. And it's like, 
No, all those things should be happening simultaneously mm-hmm. well, because they all tough. have to come. Yeah, it's very And tough, let's face definitely. it. I mean, yeah. that's it's a real challenge, you know. It's, yeah. And I think that that's, you know, um, in most other aspects of our lives, right, we're kind of taught, like, to compartmentalize things. You know, yeah. you, ha- you handle issue A, and then now you move on to handle issue B. And I think... And I think it's it's a way that a lot of people think, and which is a linear, uh, step step by step manner is the way I think many people. That's kind of the way many people's brains are organized. Yes, and I think it, yeah. if you happen to have a brain that's organized in a very holistic way, um, where every you see everything as being interconnected, mm-hmm. um, look at the bigger picture kind of thing. Yeah, and I and I think that it, that's a challenging way to go through life. Uh, not to digress too far into kind of some like philosophy of you know th- of thinking or something, you know. Um, but I feel like um, I, I feel like it can be a challenging way to think because it can take you a long time to wrap your head around things initially because mm-hmm. because everything is connected to you. So you kind of you have to consume so much information. But once you do wrap your head around it, it's like wow, you've got this extraordinary understanding. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's deep and interconnected, and you can you can kind of see all the moving pieces. Uh, I think yeah, film I, is film very much requires that if you really want to maximize uh, the medium's potential for storytelling. But mm-hmm. but I just wanted to say I I think um, this is this film is a great example of not only does the camera work, not only does the cinematography really support the 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 tone. The vibe, mm-hmm. if you will, man. Which I think is such a, of you know, the story. That, that more so than I think anything we've done out otherwise, like that tone and... and but so, so, does, yeah. so do the performances, especially yes. yeah. and specifically Gould's performance. So Elliot yeah. Gould plays Philip Marlowe, who's the lead in this film. Uh, we'll get to get to that a little bit more, but his performance and the cinematography and the way the story is told are so in line with each mm-hmm. other they flow in these on these parallel lines that just really complement each other and mm-hmm. it's rare to yeah. see it's and rare I think it's to a see. testament to altman's positivity if that makes sense that like altman seemed to be very good friends with most of the people he made this movie with okay um or at least got along with them very well there's not really many stories about you know fights or, or anything on the set even to the point that um sterling hayden and elliot gould's most of their dialogue was ad-libbed because sterling hayden was like stoned the whole time <laughs> but but altman loved it like he was completely blown away by the well i know altman, and, altman yeah. did did encourage and did like um uh you know uh improvisation yeah, and yeah. and you know they would often actors would in rehearsals would would work on improvisations and kind of work things up so you know he, and he I definitely even, was open yeah, and in in I think almost not necessarily stark contrast, but the the way that Sigmund does the the lighting in this movie is so supernaturalistic. Like you don't yeah. get um, like it's even very... if you look at something like Close Encounters, which I think is another really well shot movie. There's yeah. still you still get like when someone's inside, there's there's a light that is you know illuminating them so that you can see their face. Whereas the amount of times in this movie that you're like in a, a day interior. And it's just a, a bright, bright window behind the actor, and you can hardly see the features of their face. Or mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking of the moment too when um, when Marlowe goes in with the and the guy's sitting at the piano playing along, and he's like sitting at that bar making the phone call, and it's like there's almost no light on on camera side of his face. It's mm-hmm. almost just the entirety of the backlight from the window. Right. Um, which I think I mean I'm a big fan of that look. The unfortunate thing is that the transfer I think both me and you saw is is definitely an age transfer. Oh um, yeah. Definitely is not the full potential of what this movie could be. And you can tell that it was done on like a a little bit of an older scanner, probably 
again similarly to when we talked about butch cast and the sundance kid where it's yeah. like you probably had it right when things were being sort of transferred it was probably done because it's very you know i think the color timing is off the there's definitely not a depth um there's it's definitely soft. not it's yeah, it's, it's really yeah. soft and and again we talked and about I mean, areas that are saturated I think incorrectly and inconsistent yeah. grain and yeah. uh, damage and full on dirt and lots damage. of dust, lots of hairs. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, a, a, and even a significant piece of damage that lasts for a good 30 seconds. The whole shot. Yeah. That little white. Yeah. 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 And of course that's, that, that has nothing to do with the film. Of course that's no, like, that no. doesn't, that's not a reflection on the film. Sadly though. And I, I filmed this, I feel this is worthy of something like a criterion collection release would be. Yeah. Fantastic. Restoration release. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that, that they do that, but, uh, I, I saw this here in the United States on the Criterion streaming uh, service. You, I think, saw it on iTunes. Is that correct? Yeah, I rented it the Apple. You rented TV it through whatever, iTunes, yeah. and it sounds like uh, that there's this only this one transfer, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't think that there's any HD or AKA Blu-ray release uh, physical media that's currently in print if I'm yeah not that's widely available yeah yeah there's, there's there are some but they go for like 60 70 bucks um, yeah and yeah. i think the reason that we're pointing this out is just to say that the film is a really beautiful film that deserves don't like let said. the transfer yeah. fool you yeah yeah <laughs> and hey if anybody and, out there listening it happens to work at you know at criterion come on yes get off yeah, your yeah. butts and make the and, and make this and butch cassidy please <laughs> yeah yeah but, but I mean, um no but and i think it's important to mention too because i think a lot of people are turned off by older movies when they see something and they're like oh it's so flat and low yeah. contrast and why is like, it no, so no, no. mushy yeah the film doesn't look like that it's just that the transfer looks like that and um it's a shame you know it really is something that that could i in my opinion quite easily be done it's just that is you know as anything demands is there a market for is there a market yeah Yeah. and and i i agree and and i want a little bit of a sidestep here but i want to mention it before i forget because it it is it's related i'm gonna i'm gonna make a stretch here it's related to the cinematography it's related to how how it looks i i love 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 films that where the at los angeles is a character, and I feel like that's the case in this film to some extent, mm-hmm. especially uh, in other eras. Uh, so you, I love that this there's like a little bit of a snapshot of LA in the early 70s. I actually lived just across the 101 on North Cahuenga from where Marlowe's apartment actually is in real life, where it was shot on location, which is a really unique space where you've got that that elevator that has to kind of take you up the side of the hill and you've yeah. got a series of homes or apartments up there. Uh, that's actually a real place. And uh, yeah, it's not that, a set. Yeah, it's not a set. And uh, I think most of this is shot on location, if not all of it. I'm pretty sure this yeah. entire film is shot on location in Los Angeles, exteriors, interiors. I didn't see anything that that smacked to me of set or anything. Um, but uh, but I just love, you know, uh, Hollywood in the 70s. Uh, having lived really close to there and having seen some of these places, the griminess of it in yeah. person, yeah. I just love it, man. I mean, look, L.A. is a place people either love it or hate it. If you are a film fan, um, and if you ever had any dreams of being in the industry, uh, L.A. probably holds a really special place in your heart because everywhere you look, there's something about cinema. Some mm-hmm. film has been shot practically on every street, you know, on every street corner in the city, and every, you know. So there's just so much lure, so many stories. So just a quick sidestep there. I digress, but <laughs> but um, no, but it's. I mean, it's definitely. I would say that that the city is in in a lot of ways like a character in this movie in its own. 
Yeah, because um, the vibe, I mean, I think that, um, you know, you, even the production design, right, the location, um, it's just so perfect. You've got this, you know, uh, it, it's just, it's so unique and it kind of almost takes you into another little world. You know, Marlo has to kind of go up this elevator. His apartment is pretty unique. It's like, it's small. It's got that totally like, I mean, if you've ever lived in an old apartment in LA, so many of these homes were built in like the 20s, 30s. And, mm-hmm. and there are these, you know, little kind of cottagey, bungalowy kind of, it, it's like that vibe just comes right off of his apartment. Yes. Yeah, you, yeah. And you've got his neighbors, which crack me up. Yes, the, yeah, those, the yoga, yoga the, ladies. The women, yeah. like the yoga women who are always on like hash brownies or acid or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something it's kind and again, of again that's what's so like i think that even exudes the whole feeling of the movie as well that like those characters are such a part of the movie without really being a part of the movie like that there's not and much... it's accurate like yeah. Yeah. i mean maybe not it just the part... it's, it's really We're... great set dressing in a way like it... it's like it just it, yeah it well it's really... not even ju- it's it's it, it it's a part of a whole of you know kind of communicating a feel but doing it visually yes um yeah. but but this is kind of la like it, if you lived in that area today uh you're gonna like your neighbors are likely gonna be some really eccentric unique people i mean and this is one of the things that i love about los angeles but you know this is not iowa suburbs this is like it's uh it's and and it, you know uh marlo's attitude towards them where he's totally nonplussed you know i mean it's he doesn't even you know think anything about it that's like the way you get if you live in la because this like just eccentric people everywhere which is fantastic mm-hmm. i love it you know what's also interesting to me about this movie is um that it you know we've talked a lot we've we've tried to do i think movies that are um unique and or movies that we love from from you know, especially from different eras. Um, Mm -hmm. And this, to me, I think, perhaps more so than anything else we've done, is a movie I don't think could ever be made today. Um, Oh, sadly. I do not think that a movie like this, and again, to to kind of bring back PTA, perhaps, I think the closest we've gotten recently was Inherent Vice, which even then is a very different feel to this movie. I don't even think Inherent Vice could be made today. Oh yeah, perhaps not. I mean, perhaps with not on that like budget, PTF not on that, seventy yeah. millimeter. I don't yeah. think on that budget. I really don't. Yeah. Um, I think what what did what what did what film did PTA come off of? I'm trying to remember. I think it was what, just the master that he had done. Okay, and then he did Inherent Vice, I what, believe. Right, I can't remember how commercially successful the master was, but I think it did quite well. Commercially. The master was quite, and then Inherent Vice, I don't think was did not very. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. think you know Paul Thomas Anderson coming off of There Will Be Blood and coming off the master commercially successful very successful yeah uh, and i think uh you know the studio gave him money for inherent vice because of that but i don't i mean i almost wonder if you'd have that kind of budget for that film today yeah much less i'm agreeing with you much less this film today uh and 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 you and i talked about this and i think it's an interesting just not only would this movie be very difficult to make at this budget and be released theatrically Mm -hmm. but elliot gould as a leading man um i almost wonder if that could happen today yeah yeah he's in that i've always again said that this like there's this kind of um i guess league of like every man that aren't you know supermodels which is like the roy scheiders um the elliot goulds um you know even someone pretty standard i mean it was, was a very common thing yeah um and for some reason nowadays you can't 
it's like a lost art. Like you can't have yeah. your main character not be not be Tom chiseled. Cruise, Brad yeah. Pitt, yeah, yeah. I, all these like I don't even know their names. Sorry, uh, like all these Marvel uh marvel studs who are like yeah. you know super ripped and six percent body fat and you know <laughs> whatever you know it seems like every leading man almost ha it's like the tom crucifixion of leading men where you know everybody's got to be ripped and buff and uh beautiful it seems yeah. like now yeah, to be fair it, though to be fair we're whining about this but you know this is a situation that women have experienced in film Oh, absolutely. Know, since practically its since it's yeah. in, since the art form's inception. So yeah. here we are whining and moaning about how uh, leading men have to be these extraordinarily externally beautiful creatures. Well, hey, I mean, uh, sadly, that's been the case for women times 10. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, hopefully there will be there will continue to this will improve somehow for for all people. And I personally prefer like unique um eccentric you know both externally and internally uh mm -hmm. performers and performances um yeah that would and, definitely yeah so i but it's i you know elliot gould has such a in you know i i am not how i want to make sure I, it's it's not that i'm not a fan i'm just i just don't know too much about him um you know uh outside of his films with altman mash and this film and i think he might have been in one or two others uh, mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, my exposure to him is not that great, but I thought he was fantastic in this film. Oh, he's great. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I it's love... one of those things, again, where it's like you feel like you just feel like he he landed in this role so perfectly. Yeah. Um, I, I love his little asides, and this is this is a big part, too, and we can, we can kind of jump into this. Maybe, who knows, we'll sprinkle it in, but sound design. Sound design is obviously mm -hmm. uh, a huge part of Altman's direction. Yeah. Uh, I think that he kind of pioneered to some extent, right? Like some uh, like multi-track uh, audio recording, hiding mics on actors and re running a lot of different tracks at once so that we yeah. can record yeah. overlapping dialogue but still get it cleanly. Um, so and that... it's super necessary in this, especially considering that like Elliot Gould's half of his lines are delivered like under his breath. Under his breath as you know, an they're, aside. They're super low, yeah. Right, and, you know, and I don't know, I'll ask, maybe you know, maybe you don't, but I'd be kind of curious if there's any ADR in here and to what extent there's any ADR. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure. sure, yeah. I couldn't tell, but I know that... that's the other shame about this movie is that there's not really a lot of like BTS, like features, making of... Criterion. No, like supplementary material, yeah. Yeah, we need your criterion. I mean, yes, I... Yes, please, yeah. My, get my hunch is that there probably wouldn't be a lot it, i from my understanding of you know how important sound was to altman and how how i mean and you and i and i'm sure you as a teacher and i've you know i've been through this myself and we talk about this a lot as we kind of share advice and talk to other aspiring filmmakers you know how important sound is mm -hmm. and i think yeah. every every budding filmmaker has a story where you know the, the first project they ever work on you know they spend all this time working on the visuals and you you <laughs> you you neglect the sound to your own serious detriment and when you're you know you start putting it together you realize oh my god Sound is really, 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 really important. Mm -hmm. I screwed this up. I mean, again, <laughs> plaster mics wherever you can. Get as much as you can. That's that's, and that is clearly pretty much something that Robert Altman invented. Um, and I think that that's something that has become the norm. And it's which well, is it's just such get a... get as wide an array of sound and backups of sound and you know everything you can just to make it sound very good. Because that's one thing I will say about this movie. Even though it does have that very 
70s feel of sound where it's like there's a little bit of like kind of a little staticky and it's not little, it's know. not perfect fidelity but yeah, yeah limitations but it, 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 but it the, does yeah. have again i think that those exactly were technological limitations of the time not not craft you know, faults of yeah. a craft exactly yeah. um and it sounds great like I, I would say even even making that point that it still sounds oh, just really, imagine really a nice lossless track criterion oh my god wink, wink, yeah. nudge, nudge. but but yeah i mean but that you know uh, I, I am not an Altman scholar, but even I know that, you know, especially with MASH and McCabe and Mrs. Miller with this film, I mean, he really put a lot of time and effort into sound, into how mm-hmm. his actors were recorded. And I can only imagine how wonderful that would be. I mean, that if, if you have ever acted on camera, uh, sound can be a big limiting factor to your performance. Um, if you if you don't have now, thankfully, digital recorders are improving uh, 32-bit performers where you They're don't have as, <laughs> and life save you don't have as near a big a near as near a big of an issue with clipping uh, but but you've got to be really careful with your voice as an actor on camera yeah. not yeah. that you don't ever have to be I mean of course even on stage you have to be careful with your voice but the dynamic range is limited uh, to mm-hmm. a great extent by the technology of you know the, the recording technology that's being used to record you and so that can be limited in your performance so to have a director who's, you know, taking that into account and who's freed you up to be able to use like the full dynamic range of your voice, of your volume, and to yeah. not have to worry about just standing in one specific corner so that you're, you know, one specific tiny little mark so that your audio can be properly recorded is really free. And I imagine with such a fluid camera, right, with so much recomposition, with so much camera movement, I can't imagine being a boom operator there trying to capture mm-hmm. all of this. It just wouldn't work, you know. No. no so yeah. it, it it really frees you up to be able to and do that. And I'm curious because obviously, you know, wireless labs wouldn't have been a thing at this point. So I'm curious to know if they were Magic. miking the actors, it would have likely just had to be wired. It's a good question. Right? I, I like would they, re- Like I, that would also be a, another limiting aspect, but perhaps in a weird way, a freeing aspect. Like perhaps they just had the cables that were long enough to do that or, or something. I don't know. <laughs> it, that's it, but that's also question. what I mean where I'm saying like that it would be so nice to be able to see yeah. some just supplementary material, even if it's just people talking about. We'll just imagine you know. it. I just, I just yeah. imagined that, that Elliot Gould had a wired lav like hidden and he just had like a 30 foot cable that just like yeah. ran down his pant leg and you just have <laughs> and to try. And he'd be pranked. Someone would just pull it sometimes. <laughs> and, yeah. But it's a good question. You know, I've, I have, I've only worked with wired labs myself in an interview uh, which in which situations I prefer them because mm-hmm. I don't want to introduce the uh, risk, the variable of the wireless being interfered. Yeah. But yeah, I've only worked with wireless labs and of course booms in uh, actual narrative filming situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well. so yeah, that'd be interesting. But that I mean, especially back then with analog recorders, recording multi-track was much more difficult. I mean, it was no small task uh, to record good audio back then. No small task. No. So yeah. uh, major, major innovations uh, from Altman. And, yeah. and really, I think if, you, if you're an aspiring filmmaker and sound is an area that you kind of want some inspiration on, uh, I say definitely check out his films because... I, I think that the other thing too is that when we say sound design, we're not necessarily talking about like Foley or the creation of like sound effects. Like someone, no. you know, if you think of like Blowout with the Palma where it was like, you know, a revolution in doing like in, incredible stuff with with post sound. Foley this is just about getting really really good sound on set. Uh, Correct. I think that, and, that, and I think if you're interested in sound, yeah. watch watch all of that. You yeah. Know? 
you should you should kind of have a wide breadth of it. But um, but yeah, it really is, and it, it it's something that is you know again as with anything with sound, you kind of subconsciously notice it. Um, like it's not like you're sitting there going like man the you know the lav work on this is really great because good sound you should be able to you shouldn't really notice it right um and but i think that that is also one of those things that it does like if you there's few and far between movies from that era that sound this good um even the godfather there's plenty of moments in the godfather which was made you know the godfather 2 came out uh or godfather 2 came out after this and right. godfather 1 a year prior right um right that there are moments in the godfather where you can tell that they kind of had to crank some stuff, some gain to, yeah. to hear the actors and and little not ADR. That, you know, I think that the the Godfather has incredible sound design as well, but um, you can definitely tell why Altman's method of doing this this way became such a standard in the industry of just like loading up as many mics as you could um, to make sure that you caught every dynamic sound and every single. Well, I think um, it's still better, sound. frankly, than a lot of films honestly yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not not from like a purely technical perspective because of of course recorders and microphones have come a long way since then i mean that's i'm not talking about that but i mean the artistic intent of how things mm-hmm. were recorded i think that the director actually, was so involved in it and and yeah. that and that you know that that overlapping audio for which he's so known mm-hmm. really is a huge part of this flow that you and i keep coming back to and talking about which is so indicative of this film and so and and his best films this it's not just the fluid camera it, it's not just the the performances that are seem seamless right but yeah. it's this the, it's the audio it's overlapping audio it's you know it's marlo talking to himself under his breath and and we can hear it and it doesn't sound 80 yard or cheesy or kind of you know plugged in after the fact it sounds yeah. organic, and that takes us from one scene to the other. It's this running commentary that kind of, and this inner dialogue that Altman's able to present for our main character, which of course is kind of who we're seeing this whole film from. Well, you even from, think about the moment when Marlo's being interrogated in the police station. It's like you've got two people on one side of the glass having a conversation, then you have Marlo on the other side of the glass being interrogated. And it's right. like that conversation, it doesn't ever feel disjointed. It doesn't feel like every moment feels. Like it's supposed to be there, like it flows. There's so many yeah. more cuts in this film that I felt than I than I notice, honestly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. There, there, I mean, there's a couple there's a couple cuts that you know, I, in my opinion, when when something's put together pretty well, usually that means you don't notice the cuts. They're not mm-hmm. obtrusive. They're not fancy. There's a couple. There's a couple that I feel were a little weird. Let, we, let's talk about this a little bit. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I understand there's technical limitations. It's almost kind of like a, 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 you know, it's like a stunt shot or kind of like a special effects shot. They've got some sugar glass or something, but the, the, the cut where the Coke bottle is mm-hmm. smashed yeah. uh, into this poor woman's face uh, by the mobster guy whose name I, uh, is escaping me, but the, um, who played that? It was, um, isn't that, it it's is, uh, Marty uh, Augustine. Marty Augustine. And played Mark by Mark Rydell. Yeah. Who I think did a great job. I, I want to talk about this a little bit too. Oh, but wonder, yeah. What a wonderful characterization of that. Scary, yeah. dude. But yeah. like scary. But also like but, weirdly like, com- again, like you've got this yeah. undertone of comedy to it. Almost really, like this yeah. like mousy, like physically kind of mousy, but also yet still and then he's like, like you know let's all take off our clothes i like know this, like, weird yeah well i and, and i get let me like i'll finish this thought and let's go sure, into yeah. some yeah, of yeah. that yeah yeah but uh as as my excitement builds i start to talk about like four things at once but um uh so hang in there audience 
But um, but I felt like I, a little bit of a jarring cut, a strange kind of like, and I understand it's a technical thing, but when he, he kind of backhands that Coke bottle into her face, mm-hmm. um, there was kind of a strange kind of like cut to a um, an insert. So obviously they had to kind of set up whatever kind of you know effect they had going on there with the prop and whatnot i felt like that was a little jarring there were there was another space too and it seems so random do you remember where um marlo's driving in his fancy 40s lincoln continental cabriolet and he's looking for the addresses and there's like a maid kind of walks by the camera kind of like yeah, he hang, kind of looks hang, at her. I hangs know, like on the maid, and then there's like yeah. a butler guy in almost like a tux jacket. It looks yeah. kind of strange, and he's or not a tux jacket, but like a server jacket, or you know, mm-hmm. and he's like sweeping the walkway, and and you know, it, it's kind of like a almost our POV is like at like Marlowe. We're kind of scanning for the addresses. We're kind of looking at the environment. Mm-hmm. There was there was a strange cut there that felt abrupt, and and I couldn't quite understand exactly why that was done or what was going on i don't but i don't know if any of these stuck out to you but only a couple only a couple but for the vast majority of the film i hardly even noticed it didn't even feel like there was editing going on which which i think is usually a good thing mm-hmm. but do you what are you what are your thoughts on that especially the the, the one that well, was obvious to, really obvious to me with the coke bottle the coke bottle was obvious and i, I think that I mean, yeah, I think it was likely just the setting up of the blood effects and stuff yeah. and cutting, you know, you had to cut away for that. But yeah. um, I didn't I didn't really notice the one about when when he's getting to the okay. house. Yeah. Um, I would say, though, that the one earlier thing that you said that was interesting when we were kind of having our little preliminary conversation was about the that you almost felt like the opening was like a one I um, almost did. Yeah, which, yeah. Which which I mean, it, it's there's cuts in there, but it yeah, it definitely feels like just more so, I think, because of how much stuff is left in. Yeah. Um, that it's like, you know, he, again, he's like, he's like lying on his bed. The cat wakes him up. He goes <laughs> into the kitchen, finds out that the cat's food is empty, has to go out and get the, and then he got to talk to the ladies, go down to the thing. And it's like, again, this, this almost, I, to me, this feeling of like montage and, and, and yeah. I think what a lot of, what a lot of characters, only. a lot of directors forget about these days is just like atmosphere. You know, you don't have to constantly be moving something forward i, I love you can it allow the care that the audience to just sit to in a moment breathe. for a bit to, to breathe and to feel yeah. in the atmosphere and it's like like i think more so than anything that scene just presents the character of marlo better than like a monologue ever could thank goodness um, and and better than any crappy exposition better than yeah. any i mean yeah. a, a couple things too i want to say a whoever whoever was wrangling that cat Holy crap! Oh my god, that's gosh. like one of the best cat performances. I was gonna ever say you don't film. see a lot of cat performances. Because, well, and, because yeah. you know, unlike most other animals, cats are pretty much untrainable. Yeah, and you can't train. And yeah, holy yeah. crap! I wonder how many takes it took to get because the cat performed flawlessly. Well, and it's also I think it's like clearly a, a like a kitten, like a y- pretty young cat. I mean, they must I have think that not that fed I think that. that they tend to be you know younger cats tend to be much more easy to get to come to you or if, i mean like, with some food or maybe but. i mean we look i've got two cats mm-hmm. so immediately right off the bat i'm in love with this film because here's this super cute cat and yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you've ever had cats this is like what they do they like jump on you and they wake you up and it's and they like want food <laughs> it's and they want food really cute cat yeah. it's really cute cat but it but i i mean uh so i, I kind of joke i mean but i do love cats so i'm not joking about that but um i am really impressed actually with uh, with how they made that scene work with a cat, because that's yes. not easy, and it seemed like it was specifically choreographed. Um, 
and that had to have been challenging. Like, oh, uh, totally. Yeah, I can imagine. But, but yeah. I do. But the important part, though, I that uh, that you just stated, and I totally agree, is that here we are introducing a character, and so many times I think films are so they they feel forced, they feel rushed, um, and they feel like they've got to introduce character with dialogue, exposition, kind of explaining to us something, telling us about a character. And I just really enjoy being able to take time, to have space, to actually have the director show me about the character. Mm-hmm. And, and it's fun, too, because he goes into the cat, to the convenience store, that little like grocery store, and he's looking for his cat food, and it's not there. And he has this interaction with the stalker at the end of... And yeah, who comes and, back briefly later. And we, and, yeah. you know, so Altman sets that like cute little thing up, and then when, when uh, Marlo's in jail being processed we see that character get and they have a fun little interaction about the you know hey i don't need a cat i've got a girl you know um yeah, and he's like how's your cat how's your girl yeah, yeah. The, there's the funny part too i mean another thing about the intro actually um that that we haven't mentioned yet is um you know the score john williams score which is definitely one of i would say not lesser known to people who like are you know big into film scores and john williams but you know, a lot of people I would assume don't know that the guy who did Star Wars, Superman, Indiana Jones, Harry right. Potter, Jurassic Huge. Park yeah. also did this, you know, yeah. again, relatively low budget movie for the time. Um, and it's and a unique This was score. definitely the, the sort of the beginning of John Williams' career as well. John Williams had done a, f- a few, um, you know, movies, but, but John Williams primarily came onto kind of like the world stage as kind of a superstar after Jaws. Yeah. Um, but you look at this movie, and it's such a unique score in the way that Altman specifically wanted pretty much every song to be the same or, or the same melody, which was the Long Goodbye the song written title by song, John right. Williams. Um, and who was the other guy that wrote it? Uh, Johnny Mercer. Yeah. Um, but that it's like every every version of the song is played in a different style. So, but in, intercut with scenes. So again, going back to the opening scene where you've got Marlo going down to like get his cat food. That's intercut with his friend. Um, coming to see him right. after you know after killing his wife and um, he's got the same song on the radio but it's in a different style like it's it's a completely right. different style it's kind of like more of like a samba bossa nova almost yep um, and so we've got this like piano jazz as Marlo goes to the thing and then there's like the music is playing on the radio in the convenience store in a different style and so I just I love that I love it when you know things like that are made parts of, like I think again you've got modern era and even back then pretty frequently um you know scores were just meant to kind of be you know background noise that they just filled in the blanks whereas i think that this you know to have a director choose to do something really unique and interesting with the score um is really cool to me like it's that's a really like neat idea and it well uh, again it just kind of feels like it brings the whole movie together in a way that it almost ties a neat bow around it. And it's one of those things that if it was missing from the movie, it, the movie wouldn't be altered in a huge way. But it, because it's there, it just adds this level of, of detail that I really like. Yeah, um, well, I, I, I mean, yeah. and, and, and you, you, uh, you mentioned, uh, and I would expand upon because I think it is so important, that so much of the, the soundtrack or so much of the score, the long goodbye, like you mentioned, in these different iterations is presented of it, you know, in the story world. So it's yes. diegetic sound. Diegetic, yeah. And it's actually there. We have, and it, and it's done uniquely. You know, he Marlowe's at a bar and we have the piano man at the bar playing it. It's on, you know, the radio in several different instances. Um we have all these different uh, moments where 
it's actually the result of an interaction in the story world that the music is presented. So yeah. I, again, I mean, we talk about performances, camera, the sound, uh, you know, as far as like how dialogue's recorded, how the score is presented in the film, all of these things are presented in a way that really does create that all kind of synergetically kind of creates this flow that we yeah, keep to, talking to put about it, it simply too there's there's just there's a through line of of choice and intention through the entire movie and every aspect of the movie that you so rarely find um like mm. you just you feel not only altman's hands in every aspect of the movie but just that that almost like the the movie has this almost symbiosis to it that it's like it's got its own thing and that so everything that exists in this world feels so perfectly orchestrated for the movie and i don't mean in a choreographed or like no. set up way but rather just that it feels like it almost reminds me of, of the feeling of kind of like a graphic novel where it's oh. set in you know Ooh. the real world but there's definitely like there's there's an interpretation to everything in life mm -hmm. and that's what this movie feels like like every every person that he interacts with they don't necessarily act as authentically as as you know real people would but i kind of like that like that there's like a character to everybody everybody has yeah. this like either so this kind of, of like jaded a approach building. or this really nice yeah exactly even there's, even there's though like a... it's it's not like sci-fi it's not blade no, runner no. we're not off on another planet but but yeah that there's like that the that the world that the film creates is a tangible one it's a subtle mm -hmm. one and it's like a by a believable one i yeah i want to go back quickly to a couple things performance wise and and i want to go back to um also to uh that the violence that is in this yes. film just really yeah. quickly really quickly because i i don't know about you but it, it 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 really stood out to me and uh was i was uh kind of shocked honestly not mm -hmm. that it's it's not graphic in in like a modern sense where you see like gore or something but I, I, the way that the violence is, what what violence there is in this film is prevented and presented in a way that just that really did affect me, and that's yeah, and that's where we have um, that's where we have uh, Marty Augustine, that character who's this the I I don't it's never really stated exactly. I'm just gonna call him like mob guy, um, yeah. but uh, you know he's got his entourage of henchmen, and he's looking for his three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And of course, he comes to uh, Marlowe to, to uh, thinking that he's got it or knows where it is. And there's that scene where they come into Marlowe's apartment, into his apartment, and uh, they bring in or, or she comes up um, this woman that's, I guess, his his girlfriend, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Mar um, Marty's girlfriend. And the way that he kind of is threatening Marlowe, but talking to her using her yeah using her as a proxy for like i'm not gonna hurt you i'm gonna hurt her but yeah but it's he, like but, this is someone i love but he talks now, right and you see what i do with you yeah yeah he goes on this monologue about how much you know she means to him and how much it, which is also kind of funny because it's like well i mean you're not my wife but i mean you know outside of my family like you're the most important thing to me i mean i'm cheating well, there's on also my wife this, there's and... <laughs> this really funny element to it too again where it's like marlo has this like there's there's no in a very interesting way the stakes and the violence in this movie are are presented like the violence yeah it's super brutal he doesn't and, respond to it but he he almost is like clearly like it's like this buddy buddy things with all the all these people who are 
threatening him. Like he's just kind of like making jokes with them. And there's the one guy that is kind of the youngest of the, those mob groups, and he's like assigned to follow Marlo, and he Marlo's kind of helping him out. Like I'm not supposed to see you following me. And there's this yeah, and I I think that really again. It, again to go back to pta that that's something that is a tone in a lot of pta movies this this almost really really black comedy yeah um but um but where all everyone else is kind of there's also this like almost weird stupidity to it um and i don't mean stupid in the the way that it's written or stupid in the way that it's presented but just that that every character almost seems to just be slightly dumb in a really fun way and it's it kind of yeah but but again that is so juxtaposed against this this really yeah this like violent outbreak and then well, later and then, on in the film yeah um, but the way that yeah. sets that up i mean that's that's intense and yeah. it um and it's unfortunate that you know that sh- there's only a few uh women characters in the film mm-hmm. and sadly they're either kind of presented half naked um as uh marlo's neighbors or have violence um committed against them Mm -hmm. so that's that's unfortunate but um but then the way altman uh sets that scene up where where we have marty uh just like just smash this bottle into her face and it's it's really horrific Mm -hmm. um and you're right marlo does not respond the way you would think most people would respond uh he seems pretty nonplussed um but then we come back later and there's like this a replication of the scene and mm-hmm. so we know what happened the first time we and saw she's in bandages and yeah right and we see kind of this the, the results of he, now she's got all this she's like clearly her nose has had to be like fixed and there's all this yeah, bandage all over her face and now marty's brings her in again and he's talking to her again just the same way that he talked to her before whenever he hit her and so, at least for me, I don't know about you, but I was just like the suspense you're just, like, was tense. like, yeah, you're, I'm you're, just like, like oh my gosh, don't do it, don't do it, like, please, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, thankfully, he doesn't, but oh my gosh, but you're right. And then what he does do is pretty funny. I mean, instead and Schwarzenegger's of Schwarzenegger's there, <laughs> and oh yeah, 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 we yeah. Uh, we have to give yeah Arnold Schwarzenegger's there. It's um, I think uh, just real quick, we'll digress. Yeah, I think uh, he, you had mentioned that he was in Hercules in New York. Where of course he yeah, has his, his voice, voice dubbed, dubbed over, dubbed yeah. out. Uh, so he clearly, and he's just an extra here. I don't even know if he's credited. He doesn't have any lines. He's not. Yeah, he's not credited. Yeah. And I mean, he was in the middle of his Mr. Olympia win streak. I mean, so in the bodybuilding world, he was like on top. He was numero mm-hmm. uno, but he had yet to make his impact in film. So it's definitely funny to see him here, and he gets to take off his clothes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, and, but that's what I mean is that it's this is really weird. Like that's you think such a that weird... it's you think that oh god he's gonna hit her again or something like that or he's gonna there's gonna be some sort of outburst of violence and right. then just like everyone take off everybody your take off your clothes and that's... you're just sort of sitting there like because <laughs> it's like that's yeah. how that's how we've got to be honest. It's like I'm vulnerable. If I take off my clothes, yeah. then then we can be vulnerable and honest. I'm just like yeah. So I, so again, it, there's this yeah, there's this weird sense of humor that goes under the whole thing. That's um. That's very much not necessarily, I think, like if I if you read the book, I haven't read the book, but I don't think the book is in any way comedic. I think the book's I'm not much sure. more I've not noir-ish. read the book. Yeah. Um, and whereas... There's a lot this, of humor. Yeah. We're, and I think that, again, that comes a lot from, like you watch something like The Master, which 
on a whole is not a very funny movie but you've got these funny little bits like when he's when Joaquin Phoenix is taking the pictures of the guy and he keeps sliding the light closer to him and the lights are so hot that the guy's like leaning away from the light and Joaquin keeps sliding you know things like that that are you know I think super Altman-y yeah very clearly um you know very much yeah I think there's a lot of humor, and I think you know you we you talk a little bit about you know Elliot Gould's Marlowe being kind of detached or, or being you know not not having a lot of serious re- reaction to the violence that goes on to the threats yeah. that go on. I mean, you've got, I mean, and actually Marlowe actually even ends up killing in cold blood his friend at the end. Spoiler yeah. alert! But yeah. hey, if you've not seen the film by now, fifty years later, then I think it's okay. But yeah. um. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Marlowe actually ends up eventually, you know, he kind of comes to the end of his, of the conclusion of the mystery kind of part of the, you know, story, part of the film, and come to find out uh, his friend, who he, in the beginning of the film, takes to Tijuana, um, actually ends up kind of, he's he's still alive, he's faked a suicide, and he's actually, you know, uh, been um, cheating with the woman from the other case, Mm -hmm. uh, Eileen Wade. connected, yeah. And it's all connected, and he, I mean, and there's not a whole lot of. It's like you know, Marlo pulls out a gun and shoots him, and that after he, it's confirmed that his friend has done this to him, he doesn't yeah. do a lot of things. Like I lost my cat, yeah. And and literally, <laughs> as he and the ending, I think is. I I actually, it's hard to end a film. There are yeah. a lot of great films that in that um, that like ah, uh, it's like the ending just doesn't quite do it justice. No, End, good no. endings are tough. I think this ending is amazing. Oh, yeah. It's not only yeah. do we kind of wrap up the whole kind of mystery plot part, we get this, I think it's great, where we have Marlowe kind of walking down. There's this like really long shot, the long lens. He's walking down this beautiful road. And we see um, Eileen Wade, Nina Van Palance, Eileen Wade, driving towards us in a Jeep. And she kind of glances at Marlowe, kind of recognizes him, thinking like, what is he doing here? And yeah. then and then heads on down. Especially after having ignored him last time they saw exactly, each other. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because of course we all now we know what's going on. So we know she's getting ready to to, to find that the man that she wanted to escape away to Mexico with uh, is dead. Mm-hmm. And I, you just have this little moment where Marlo plays his little harmonica that he got in the hospital and kind yeah, of from that dances guy. again. Another quick, comedic moment when he got yeah, the guy and kind of like him, dances yeah. a little jig with this like random stranger, you know. And then we fade and then out. Hollywood, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever it's called, here's to Hollywood or hooray for uh, Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. The only other song. In the, the only other soundtrack. song. And and yeah. I just feel like it's it, and so. But but what I want to say too is I think. The way Marlowe responds to these things is what keeps this film from being melodramatic or too heavy. If if Marlowe's response, because we see the film through Marlowe, right? Uh, if Marlowe's response were to be, uh, oh my gosh, this is horrible, or you know, if he were to be in fear, if he were to be, cons- you know, because in reality, likely you'd be pretty terrified if you had a mob boss coming after you for three hundred and fifty grand, which back then was probably five million dollars. If your friend had just that you just helped out to go to Mexico was found dead, you know, if all these things were actually happening, if you witnessed a woman have her face, you know, destroyed by someone hitting her with a bottle, I mean your your response would be substantially different. Mm-hmm. But but then that's what I mean when it's like there's this world building and tone building. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that helps keep the tone of this film light in a sense, even though mm-hmm. it's a it's a neo noir, 
it's not a true noir. It's not yeah. heavy like a noir. It's not hard-boiled and heavy. Yeah, you don't come out of it thinking like, no. man, that was depressing or something. Yeah. No, it, it really has a lot more comedy into and, it. And again, you can also, you know, for another contemporary artist, you can really see Altman's influence on like the Coens. Um, ah, like where, you, sure. know, you, you, you know, the Coens love that like Fargo is arguably a story that's about like a really tragic uh, yeah. series of events that's hilarious. Like Heart Fargo's a really, really funny movie. Coens do of, that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Dark comedy. It's like crime, people dying, yeah. but it's hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like, I love that, that style of, of like not overt comedy, but just that everything is played up a little bit like silly in a way. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, like the absurdity of life, and, and the, yeah. not that we, we will. I'm sure we'll do a Cohen's film, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there is definitely an absurdity uh, of life that I think it captures. And you know, look, real life can be pretty damn serious, but a lot of times in those most tragic, serious moments when life seems as, as surreal as it can get there is some kind of sliver of strange comedy in that so yeah. if you don't laugh you cry <laughs> if you don't laugh, you cry well on that note uh i think we can wrap this one up uh cullen uh mm-hmm. it's been a pleasure uh, i appreciate you picking this film i really enjoyed watching it and i have enjoyed discussing it with you and i hope totally that, yeah i hope that those listening out there uh also enjoyed our discussion of it uh, I'll be excited to see. Ooh, it's my turn, isn't it? It's my yes. turn for the next. Yeah. Ooh, I, I've got some homework to do. Then I better think of something. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm scared because um, there's a part of me that you know. I, I don't know about you. Just for a quick second, let me take a quick moment here. I I love so many different types of film, color, mm-hmm. and you know, I feel like films and cars. I, I, I my attitude toward them are the same. I I love like every kind of car, like the cheesiest like dumpiest little car i could make fun and i also love ferraris and you know i mean the most expensive or the cheesiest dumpiest cars it's like i can find a way to like enjoy it appreciate all of them because i just i just love cars and it's like the same with films it's like i just love films so much that it's rare that I find a film that I can't get like some kind of enjoyment out of. So it's like, mm-hmm. whether it's like super cheesy, like 80s horror B movie, or like, you know, it, like you name it, like any genre of film, uh, any like kind of, I mean, B films, C films, you know, like just, you know, whatever, teen comedies, like masterpieces, um, you know whatever i can't even think of it just so many different types so my point is my point is i'm like playing around with the idea of possibly bringing to the table some films that might fall a little bit out of you know this like upper echelon of Mm -hmm. film that we've been you know mostly for the most part i think you know kind of films that are definitely kind of universally or closely universally considered class except for at close range which was one of mine Mm-hmm. So I don't know. How do you feel about that? How do no, you I think that'd be spot? really interesting. You, you, yeah. you open? You open to potentially totally. like doing some genre films or some some things that like you know aren't necessarily considered masterpieces? Okay, I'll yeah. think about it. We'll see. I mean, that's we'll my. I, I've got my next few picks kind of like oh. laid out. And, oh uh, man, I won't spoil it. But You're, uh, yeah, don't spoil it. You're on top of it. Yeah. Woo. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there's so many good films out there, and that's the mm-hmm. other thing. I just life is too short. I wish that I I wish that we lived a thousand years so that I could absorb, you know, a thousand times more films. Well, what's nice I'm... about doing this too is that it keeps me. You know, I haven't been able to like sit down and watch a lot of movies lately. Yeah. And yet, I still this is great because it 
it, it makes me it forces me to sit down and there watch you go every once in a while so good good yeah. good all right well fantastic well thanks everybody thanks cullen we'll mm -hmm. say goodbye for now and until next time we'll see you guys on the flip side bye-bye